And so it's definitely in there, like whether it's under tension or completely free of tension, I think we need to find a balance between those two where we're, okay, we can, we hold length in positions under tension, you know, that's going to mold our fascial system to one way. And then also, can we let go of all that tension? Cause that's ultimately like, you know, the way our, our body from a Western lens views, views muscle contraction, it's yin and yang, it's on and off, you know, it's, it's, and it may be isometric. It may not be concentric, eccentric, but uh, it's, it's, is it stiff? Is it relaxed? Is it stiff? Is it relaxed? And, and can we make those more differentiated as opposed yeah. to being one muddled mess yes. in between? But that's kind of what makes us slow and injured. That was Sam Weiss, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. If you're in the world of sports performance, you've probably heard of jump testing mats. These mats use hang time to measure total jump height or contact time to measure quickness abilities off of the ground. The best jump mat that I've come across also happens to be a sponsor of this show, which is the Plyomat. The Plyomat is not only accurate, easy to use, and affordable, but it also allows you to string multiple mats together to add an extra dynamic to plyometric testing and training. To check out the Plyomat, you can head to plyomat.net. That's P-L-Y-O-M-A-T dot net. Today's podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is an online software for coaches and trainers, and I've continued to hear great things about the Team Builder platform. If you're looking for either an in-house training portal for your training groups or an online training hub, be sure to check out the Team Builder training software. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you here, and I'm excited to welcome back to the show today guest Sam Wiest. He's an acupuncturist, a track and field jumps coach, a teacher of internal martial arts, and he also has a physical preparation, strength and conditioning background. And Sam combines that strength and conditioning or those physical preparation ideas with his training in traditional Chinese medicine. On the show today, Sam will be talking about concepts related to movement quality, elasticity, managing stress and uh, tissue quality, and how that goes into not just moving well, but also athletic longevity. When we see those athletes who are in their 30s or 40s or beyond, and they're still moving and competing really well, there's just something to that that we don't talk about that much. We just will look at them and say, oh, wow, that athlete is really something special. But there's ways and there's things within that that we can look at that can make, regardless of if we are training younger athletes or older just an interesting and, and important lens by which to look at that total process. So I'm excited to get to the show today with Sam. I always enjoy our conversations and excited to get you guys this show. So let's get to episode 386 here with Sam Wiest. Sam, it's great to have you back on the show, man. And I know a lot has changed uh, in terms of at least your location and where you're uh, doing what you do. So tell me a little bit about your move down south, way south, and uh, what brought you there and, and what you're up to now. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. Yeah, way south. I'm down here in Costa Rica. Uh, when my wife, who grew up in Costa Rica, uh, found out we were pregnant, we decided to move closer to family. So we're down here. That's the primary impetus that got us down here. Obviously, if you've been to Costa Rica, you know that there's a whole lot to offer as far as health, wellness. Uh, and little did we know, even sport down here. Um, we live in San Jose Central Valley. So we have access to you know beautiful Olympic-style uh, stadium uh, for track and field, basketball courts, everything. You know. The gyms are amazing. And so what I'm doing right now, basically, is I'm still, you know, treating, still an acupuncturist. I'm still a massage therapist. And we also have athletes that will come in and will train with us for 
you know, a number of weeks or even in some cases a month or two. And they'll come in to work on some specific objectives, usually track athletes working on, okay, I need to get my Excel pattern right. Okay, I need to come down and, uh, you know, we're going to train high jump. We're going to train, you know, I've had some basketball guys come down and train just to dunk, basically. Uh, and it's been a great time because you get to come down, you get to remove yourself from, you know, the outside, you know, world or you're in immediate environment if you're in uh, the States or wherever you're coming from. And you get to, you know, come here, train with less distractions, be in beautiful weather and beautiful nature. And, you know, I work with them therapeutically as well. And that's a great little mix that we have going on. Um, so that's really what I'm doing in person as well as learning my online education programs and immersions. Yeah, I um, actually, I had originally thought when I saw you in Costa Rica, I was thinking, well, acupuncture, Chinese medicine, kind of like the Eastern and Western. I thought you were like, I'm going to get away from the Western world and just chill. You know, and I thought that was the main, I'm sure that's kind of like a nice piece of it all too. I mean, it seems to fit what you're doing uh, really well. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um, Originally, I kind of thought that that might be where I headed, but just because of the need of some athletes I'd worked with in the past, I ended up having, you know, planning some of these training trips. And also just because, you know, realistically, I'm, you know, two meters tall in a, in a country that doesn't have that many tall people. So playing pickup basketball here, you end up uh, kind of pulled back into the sporting world. I can never really get away because it's what I like to do. Uh, so end up working with athletes in a variety of, of different you know, different uh, languages, different aspects uh, while I'm down here. Yeah. The real reason is you just wanted to dominate pickup basketball. You're like, where can I go where I can just dunk on people? And <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of that, actually, you know, you were just mentioning Jamal Crawford. And I know in, in line with what we'll be talking about with longevity today, uh, well, you said this in an email we actually shared prior to hopping on the call was the most impressive track and field world record might be one that's almost not an actual like open world record, but the Masters, the M40 high jump is absolutely mind blowing. Like I thought it was like just over seven feet, but it's like seven five, and the and it was Topeak Dragoon Topeak. He was like forty one, seven five at forty one. That is just other world. He was a uh, a world junior record holder too. Yeah. So it's I don't know how they say the name. Is it Topic? Because yeah, it's I, Eastern European. I probably screwed up. Topic. Yeah, sorry everybody in yeah Eastern Europe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I, I apologize to you. I know two languages, not more than that. Um, so yeah, he. I mean, that's amazing to have that sort of longevity where you're coming in as a junior athlete in one event in high jump where you're doing like the same thing. There's we know how much force goes into that ankle on takeoff. You can Google high jump pronation compilation and watch all these ankles. You know, basically. Uh, everting like crazy going into peak forces on takeoff um so that's an amazing amazing feat so yeah let's talk about let's talk about why you know yeah yeah and all those um you know i mean there's a lot of them too every time somebody's doing something in their late 30s or early 40s like that i mean like shellyann fraser price uh as fast as she's running it i think 36 um a lot of people a lot of people in the caribbean too and that's why i was kind of making the joke about costa rica as it seems like like Kim Collins from, I think it was St. Kitts. Um, he had run 999 at 39 or maybe even 40. Like he was right there at 40. And there's something about yeah, that, like finals, laid back, like, maybe that like laid back island lifestyle that helps to prolong your ability to, you know, sustain outputs or something. But I'm sure, but it's not everyone, you know, you don't, you get people like you're saying, like Jamal Crawford, who just from the States, like it's, um, I'd be curious, um, what you think are some of the main factors if <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot, you know, but 
What are some of the main factors that can lead to people who can sustain, um, you know, not just endurance, because endurance is endurance can get better for a long time, but that to sustain the power output and to be able to sustain that ability. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because it's something I've thought a lot about, um, both as I'm, you know, in my 30s now, still continuing to train and perform, but also because a lot of the people that I work with on a regular basis are athletes. Um, And unless I'm working specifically with a college sports team, uh, I'm working usually with folks who have, you know, gotten to that stage in their late 20s or, you know, somewhere in their 30s or even early 40s where, hey, I'm running into injuries for the first time and I just don't know how to get out of this hole or I'm just not able to you know, I feel like something's off with my hormones. I don't really know what it is, but I just don't feel quite the same. Um, And so, okay, like what are the people, yeah, let's reverse engineer. What are the people who are really doing it at, you know, close to 40 at a peak level? What are they doing differently? I think some of the lessons that we can see, um, you know, and again, I like Jamal Crawford as an example, because I was listening to this interview the other day um, with, I think, by any means basketball. And he was like, yeah, man, like even when my daughter was born or my child was born, I was like sneaking away to play hoops at LA Fitness, um, as opposed to just resting, as opposed to getting away from the game. And I think some of the people that you mm. see last the longest, it's difficult for them to really get away from the activity fully. Because a lot of times what happens is that people, when they step away and they don't realize this, when you get older, you have an opportunity to step away from high performance in a way that you didn't when you were 20. Because all your friends are playing basketball on the weekends and you get pulled into it just by having friends or just by being social or just because you have so much energy at that age that you can't sit down for a long period of time. You know, I know that if I didn't, you know, exercise a certain way when I was like 18 or 20, I'd be going nuts. So I like had to self-regulate. If I didn't have a a sport to do, I I was I was running up a hill or, you know, just bouncing Mm -hmm. off the walls, running to jump and touch something like it just it's natural at that age and it gets less. So I think not stepping away is a huge one. Um, the other one that I think people, you know, it's it's difficult, difficult is starting to integrate the changes that are happening to your body. So figuring out that, you know, not the things that you did to make yourself super athletic are not necessarily the things that you need to keep doing. And we can think about the meta- metaphor that I usually like to use when I talk to people is, you know, speed endurance, for example. You know, you need to accelerate hard. To six, if it's a hundred meter dash, let's use this example. You need to accelerate hard. You know, if you're an Olympic sprinter, up to sixty meters. That's about when you hit top speed, right? And so, but what happens if you keep trying to accelerate harder after that time? Is your performance actually drops? You're not able to relax. You're not able to get into a rhythm and maintain mm-hmm. the speed that you already have. And I think, to some extent, the ideal athlete life cycle is you build. When your body's really comfortable building, when it's all hands on deck, we need to learn coordination. We need to learn, you know, how to, you know, use our power outputs, our tendons and bones and everything like that needs to remodel. And they're already slightly, you know, developing in a lot of, um, you know, in a lot of the ages where we're, we're expecting peak performance, they're still developing. Your body's still developing as a high school athlete. Your body's still developing as a college athlete in ways that we don't fully appreciate sometimes because we're not growing inches higher usually. Um, but we're still developing. And because of that, we're a lot more, you know, plastic, uh, you know, within our bodies and within our fascial matrix. So, you know, I think um, understanding like, hey, the things that were working before may not be the mm-hmm. things I need to dip into 100% uh, as I get older. For example, you know, I don't think for me, like I haven't, and the athletes that I work with still respond really well to them. So I still use them, especially, you know, folks before the age of, um, 
uh, 30, but like heavy Olympic lifts, I just don't feel like I get enough out of them as opposed to how much they beat me up. Um, you know, and I, I still like Olympic lifting. I still like doing something light and it primes me for something else. And I feel like it's awesome. And if I exclude it for myself, I, I do think I miss it, but I, I just don't see the, the return being quite as high as it was in a different stage of life. Um, and I think there's just the kind of things we need to consider as we start to get older is um, what is the return on investment of some of these things? And it may not be the same as how we got here. Yeah. One of the things. Other things oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry to jump in. Um, but one of the things that you had said that it just sparked something. And I had talked about uh, Tony Holler with this was just the joy in practice. And I think, you know, in the, the context of track and field, a lot of times track is looked at as oh, you're just going to go run like, you know, 12 200s and it's going to, you know, practice is going to be hard and it's not like fast and joyful and, and all the things that, are, you know, more of that side of humanity. And I look at, you said Jamal Crawford, like you can't help but think too, like part of the reason he probably wanted to go play was just the love for the sport. Like the more love you have for what you do and you even think too about like, you know, how much joy a child has in playing and moving and the more of that you can keep, the more... And it's obviously going to change as you grow, but I think there's still a piece of that, that the more you just have that just pure love to get out and play, I just think it, it must make it easier. I would imagine that probably had something to do with it, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that's, um, I'm really glad you brought up that childlike quality because I think that's really important in a couple ways. And they, and they play into each other, is both the physical and the mental of having that childlike state. On the mental side of it, it's in maintaining that enthusiasm, that excitement where everything is fresh, everything is new. And on a physical level, you're not guarding as much. You're not overexerting yourself. You're not, there's a physical body language difference between doing a task when you are excited about it and you want to do it versus doing a task when it's a chore and it's work and I really don't want to. And I'm in pain and I don't feel good and yada, 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 yada. And maybe, you know, you mentioned sunshine earlier too and uh, different weather climates. And honestly, track is harder when you're in really freezing yeah. temperature. Yeah. It's not as much fun to be out of track meet all day. Um, I find that that's certainly, you know, <laughs> I've high jumped since I've been down here. And, you know, I can high jump fine. Like, I, you know, jumped in with one of my guys and I can clear, you know, I'm not clearing like two meters yet, but I, I could next week if I yeah. train for it, you know, like I'm in shape for it and I don't mind it. So, like, it's it's different when you are enjoying it both mentally and physically. And to further that on the physical side, we need to look at like, hey, how is our body changing as we get older? And, you know, some of the things that we focus on in the West are really these quantitative measurements, these like, okay, numbers, yada, mm -hmm. yada, yada. When in, in fact, I think, and this is really my background, like using my hands on people's bodies uh, as part of my work, especially on athletes' bodies, is to understand that like the person who's perpetually injured, they have a different muscle tone or different adhesions in certain areas than somebody who doesn't. And so that's when like hands-on therapy, um, whether it's somebody else or like you get skilled at it for yourself um, because these things are not equal, like going to somebody who knows who they're doing and somebody who's, mm -hmm. you know, your, your partner's massage could be really nice, but you know, it might not be that skilled versus like you doing it and you've just been mashing something on a foam roller for the past 10 years mm -hmm. versus somebody who's like, Oh, I took this deep dive and I actually took some bodywork courses and I, you know, took Sam's acupressure for athletes course and and I integrate all these things into one um, you know, into one cohesive package. That's my self-care package. And you actually find that people will restore some of these 
qualities of being softer and more supple, uh, more ability, more able to turn tissue off as opposed to keeping everything on all the time, which is what a lot of our training tends to lead us towards. Yeah, I find it interesting even, and um, not to get too far on a rabbit trail, but even in things like, like CrossFit, where mm-hmm. the, the soft tissue work is usually referred to in kind of the same mentality as the, the activity, which is like smashing, you know, like go find the ball and smash it out or whatever. Like that, that trigger point, go smash it. And it is interesting because you have a good therapist and it's, it's anything but that. Not to say that there isn't some benefit from those types of things. I just also wonder, um, and I, I know that even just doing like the voodoo floss and all those bands, like, yeah, it made me feel better for sure. So I was just kind of wonder too, like based off what you're saying, like the, the longevity though, of if everything is just like, you know, more of the, the hard aspect of the, the therapy. Um, Even the the therapy, the the tissue aspect, like research shows that compressing an area makes it more likely to get injured. So like if all of our therapy is mm -hmm. compression based and pushing on something and mashing it to use that sort of terminology, then in the short term, you'll often, you can work out a knot like that, but to apply that to your entire, like an entire fascial chain makes no sense. Fascia responds best to like steady, slow calm, gentle, and lifting expansive movements. And so that's not something that you're going to give yourself by like using a barbell, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like standing on your head, pointing your trap at the floor, like top your shoulder. Like that's not, that's just not something that's going to happen very often. And even some of the environments people are doing this themselves in, if you're listening to metal, you know, doing uh, some of your like self-therapy, like it's going to be a different vibe and a different effect than if you're kind of like calmed down in, in a somewhat darker room, you know, uh, kind of controlling your setting as well. Yeah. I remember in the warmups, um, this was towards the latter half of my years at Cal. <laughs> with the swimmers, I remember there was a few days. I didn't do this all the time, but it was usually with smaller groups. So, if, if you could see if the vibe was good and they liked it. But sometimes we would do like recovery days or easy days. I would actually put on classical music and get out like Indian clubs and stuff like that. And not everyone loved it, but some of the guys really liked it. Like, I think they internally saw the shift that could happen with that. And it is, I do think it's interesting because we are very good at compressing. Like, I think especially in the West and training and probably training really worldwide, you know, it's easy to compress things. And, but it's a little bit, it takes a little bit more wisdom and time and then going through it. And I mean, I compressed myself for years into my early 30s and then I've been, trying to expand <laughs> for the last like you know eight or so um and and been working through that but i think it's yeah it is easy to compress i think it takes a little more wisdom and time and just seeing how things go to expand and then i do think the older you get to just to kind of have that more of that mentality like you said with the olympic lifts like i still like olympic lifting but i based off one of our last conversations you mentioned the seasons and seasonality and i've kind of saved my heaviest my heaviest season is the winter. And it's like, you know, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, so it's way different than your winter. Like, I'll get outside and throw a sandbell around for my, instead of doing this much sprinting, it's a lot more like like throwing a sandbell over your shoulder. So, it's like you're still getting the posterior chain, but it's more like rocky style. I'll do, I'll do hill sprints and stuff and that type of thing and play. But, um, but then the summer, like it's the sunshine, it's track season to be able to put the weights away. I mean, not completely, but a lot of them away for some time and to feel, to attune your body to that. I think it's helpful because I think sometimes we get so attuned to compressing. Like, that's the only thing we know. So, just to be able to step outside of that for some time, I think, 
and I'm not even just saying for longevity. I think for everybody, no matter who you are, um, you know, I mean, unless it's like, you know, my kid, my kids playing, so they don't even train, you know, so it doesn't even matter. But like people who start to train and I, I think it's, it's very worthwhile to have time away from compression. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, um, you know, we've brought up uh, different areas of the country, both weather wise, but even in terms of culture, like if you have other movement things that are in your repertoire, even if it's just dance, even if you just like have yeah. another like non hard, compressive, whatever it is, like kind of like this aggressively young, you know, we talk about mm-hmm. yin and yang, hard and soft, like this very hard, young aspect. If we don't have something to balance that we tend to burn that up. Um, and the excess of yang in Chinese medicine, like you see that wheel, the yin and yang moving in a circle at the peak of yang turns into yin, just like the peak of summer mm-hmm. turns into fall and starts to move in the opposite direction. And the peak of yang, and you know, in our case, the peak of hardness is absolute rest. That's when you get hurt. <laughs> That's when you can't go forward anymore. So if you don't balance that, you will, your body will balance it for you. You will just have an injury and have to sit out. Like there's just no way around it, finding balance. Yeah. it's. It's definitely something that I think learning to, yeah, learn, just that's the, the thing that definitely comes with wisdom. I think for, it is interesting too, because I think for even younger populations, like when athletes are introduced to training, we still get the same, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the Draguten to, to Peach, uh, I'm trying to say his name, but like he was a junior record holder and then eventually masters. And I, it is interesting the way that even kids are introduced to sport, especially training. It's like pe- kids ought, way too often get in the weight room lifting really heavy like maxing out in middle school and testing and it's like well where are you going to go from here and i think you know it's 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 all that it's the only thing that you are exposed to and even too i think even i don't think you have to get like too esoteric to to balance that even doing like the marinovich training system i found was very like expansive where instead of and I think a lot of pro athletes find their way to that kind of system like marinovich system or sports science lab like the balanced discs like the physio ball work, like, you know, people hate on balance work, but it's kind of like the other thing. It's like, the, it's, it's more, just more yin. And I always found like, if I did a lot of heavy compressive stuff for a period of time, I, I found, I really liked deloading with the Marinovich stuff, like a deload week, just piling in the Marinovich stuff. And that was really like, my body felt really responsive after that. And, and just like everything felt connected and, and like you hit that little bit of expansion again. So it is interesting to be- and plus too, like, like LeBron James, right? You see him, He's 38, 39 now, like playing at a high level. And you see him on little balance discs before the game. I know it's not his main training stimulus, but still like, I don't know. I, I'd be curious what you think some of those, of some of like the balance pieces and, and some of the yin or the longevity aspect of that and how it just fits with mainline training. Yeah. I mean, I think you touched on some cool things right there. Uh, as far as the balance piece, you know, it's a part of our nervous system, you know? So like the ability to use proprioceptors, um, it really influences our ability to turn on and off uh, our ability to activate a lot of muscle tissue and produce force. If we don't sense ourselves comfortable, we won't produce force. Uh, um, and so we can't go all the way to, I'm just going to do everything I do uh, on the backside of BOSU ball, because then we're never going to find any force output. But we also can't ignore the fact that a lot of times, whether it's sport, uh, where it's dynamic, or even a sport like track and field, where the ground is flat, and you usually don't have to do things like unexpected shifts occur and the body's ability to be more robust with our movement patterns is really important. Um, I really think that, you know, I, one, one other thing that I think is interesting is, you know, you had Boo talk about, Boo Shexnader, I think was on your podcast talking about 
uh, appropriate. Maybe you can link that because I'm going to butcher the the paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but talking about how you know proprioception is a part of the nervous system. And I remember one thing that stood out, stood out for me from years ago taking like week long seminars uh, from his coaching academy was we are by fatiguing certain things, you know, on Monday doing a certain amount of like heavy lifting, heavy bounding, you know, accelerations like very high central nervous system work. We come back from that Tuesday and do something technical and we're, we're dipping into a deeper pool of our proprioceptive abilities because all of that, the, what balanced us, what stabilized us on Monday, all that's shot. And like, if you look at his training, he does Mm -hmm. a lot, he works hard and he rests hard. It's very black and white, very yin and yang. And so when he rests hard, um, you know, he throws in some of this balance, but also even when you're still doing something difficult somewhere in the middle where it's like technical, you're still putting out force, but it's not quite, you know, heavy lifting. It's not quite everything's tensed all the time. Your your body's ability to learn to use different proprioceptors, I think, is hugely influential to not only injury prevention, but also performance and especially in the long term, especially when you have long seasons and you have to find these things under duress. Um, the other thing I want and if you have something, jump in. But the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, when we talk about longevity in the Eastern European sort of system is they have so many different drills for taking off. I remember uh, my boss who, you know, Alex Benamarenko, who was uh, a coach for, you know, uh, Ukraine, you know, coached the Olympians over there. And he had this high jump manual from when he, you know, did his doctorate in sports coaching, because that's how you coach at the Olympic level. And he's, you know, in some of these countries in Eastern Europe is you do a doctorate degree. Um, so you have a lot of years of education looking at all the high jump drills. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I never had imagined all of these different ways mm-hmm. to take off, to navigate space, to go over a bar and looking back on it. I'm like, that was all, you know, uh, external motivation. So you're all looking at something, jumping over it, navigating space with your body. In addition to producing force outputs, I think sometimes in the West, we just focus on like doing one thing and producing mm-hmm. a yeah. bunch of force. in it, And we don't realize that like actually by finding a lot of things that are very similar to that one thing or different ways to do that one thing or different ways to make that one thing novel because you have an athlete for, you know, maybe 12 months in some of these systems. You don't have the college sports system. You don't have the high school season where you only have a kid for four weeks and then, okay, they got to go compete or else you lose your job. You know, I don't know what people's thoughts are. People have varying ideas on how to navigate that. But, um, you know, when you have somebody who's just like, yeah, it's just the neighborhood kids working out uh for for a long time you end up being a little bit more creative because no one's gonna come back if you don't yeah it that's a good way of putting it too is i think it in some ways you know i i my hope for this conversation it's it's not it you know longevity is amazing and i think people who um the audience listening a lot of people coaches who work with younger athletes right and so in one sense it's like okay well this is for me because I'm, you know, a- aging as I train, you know, and, and or people who are just, you know, lifetime athletes in movement. But at the same time, this also does impact how we look at training for people who are in, you know, high school or their athletic prime, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. And it's part of that is what you just said. It's um, I have a lot. I really enjoy motor learning conversations. And there's the thought of, well, is there one perfect form that you just try to like keep you know, hammering away at, like trying to like put someone in this, oh, you didn't have your arm in this position, make it more over here. Your knee and your toe up wasn't enough on that, you know, sprinter jump, do, do this versus exposure to a lot of different movement patterns. And therein you have the novelty 
you have robustness because the human body gets more ways that it's stressed, but it's not stressed the same exact way over and over again. And there's just, there's just something to that. And I think it can fit for whether it's how you teach young athletes the game to begin with. And I do think there can, there can be a little bit of fundamentals depending on what it is that are important. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't completely throw that out, but at the same time, like unless there's some sort of exploration and, and the way, the joy of that, as I, that's where I see joy too. It's like, there's joy in learning a skill in a way that isn't only like rote recitation and, and all that business. Like, I think that it can be really beneficial on both of those ends of the spectrum. And I just think that, yeah, from front to back for how we experience, uh, I would, I would, I would be curious too, in some perspective, if like the longevity of people who grew up, like, like just super drill based, everything was like that versus like soccer in the favela like you know like just roll out the ball and everyone goes out to play and you just learn or you learn by the wisdom of the older kids you know and they're teaching you like i'd be curious you know how that might factor into as well it'd be really kind of interesting to look at yeah i mean i think um there's a couple things you touched on there that i I really want to go over before i get into that one yeah yeah one i really think that you know you're speaking to teaching people movement based on reflexes versus based on conscious cognitive control mm-hmm. and conscious cognition is never going to be as fast as fast as a reflex it just cannot be um that is it, our reflexes bypass our conscious cognition for the most part so actually that's why a lot of cues you tell a kid to do something and he doesn't do it she doesn't she she can't mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't bring her knees up her body yeah. tells her you know, from a from a nervous system level that's happening at the nerve roots at her spine is saying, I will not do that. I will not obey this command. It is bad for me. And coaches don't have the background to see that in a lot of cases. So that is what it is. But I think the best way to marry them is really like the way that I think about coaching now is to find a, a package of, of drills, general strength, things that an athlete needs to do to find, you know, and specifically in track and field, to find like a decent foot shape a good pelvic and spinal posture. And then from there, how do we layer reflexes onto those things? Because if Mm -hmm. those things are in the right position, you know, we're in position to have good swinging segments, good swinging arms, good swinging legs. We're in position to have rotations. We're in position to have all these things. We don't need to overcoach them once they're in position, but if they're not there, even, but if they're not there, we don't have the pelvis working functionally. We don't have a, a foot that can actually like grip the ground with the, you know, the sole of the foot, the arches aren't engaged then it's going to be very difficult. Uh, you know, you can train reflexively and, and you know, they'll, they'll get a little better, but for the most part, they'll still have whatever gaping hole they have. Um, so I think it's kind of, especially nowadays, because kids don't get enough physical activity and they don't get enough general strength. So you can't really just like throw a kid into a sport and expect them to have a background. They, they, they need more than they perhaps did 30, 40 years ago uh, based on the general uh, health of the population, essentially. Yeah, what, what you just said there, Sam, it was almost another way of saying, and I believe this is uh, Jay Schrader's, I think this is on his website somewhere in his system. Is it something like, I hope I don't butcher this, but it's like the first thing you have is position. Like mm-hmm. that's your fundamentals, being able to understand position. Then once you have that, you have velocity. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like position, then velocity, and then movement. That helps your movement and movement is the key to life or a key to life. And so it's almost like the same thing. It's like the reflex, velocity is reflexive. Like you. I mean, you can, there's different ways to get velocity. Like you can like think, okay, like static dynamic. All right. Like, you know, coming out of a static position, like as fast as I can, 
But then there's also yeah. just the, the pure reactiveness. Like even when you do like a speed Russian lunge or lunge switch, like there's yeah. like a drop that a, like a one half inch drop that primes that and then the reflexes go and your legs switch and it's just like boom, you know. Exactly. So yeah, very absolutely. Similar. I think when you bring it back too to like, you know, the soccer player in the, who grew up just playing in his neighborhood, um, you know, and, and that sort of person's longevity. You know, I play uh, pick up basketball with one dude. He's Costa Rica's national team's like score goals scored uh, record holder. I butchered the way of saying that, but you got the idea. He, he scored the most goals for the national team and anybody in, in the country. And, you know, he's still playing uh, solidly like fast basketball at like, you know, he, I don't know as actual age, but he must be getting like 40, he's in his 40s or something. He, he, and he's athletic, you know, and like he's not, um, we don't have like quite as defined strength conditioning, or at least it doesn't match what we have in, in the US. It doesn't, it doesn't quite equate. There's a little less weightlifting, there's a little less structure uh, to that aspect of training. And people are still, I think one of the biggest things is people just don't really stop playing fully. And, and I think that's a huge thing is, okay, you have a small injury. Can you do something else? And I think the style of play as well in some other countries and track is kind of an exception because you always have to do the work. But for, you know, countries where the, the main sport is soccer, the passing allows everyone to play longer. Mm. You know, the ability just like, okay, you get the ball to your feet, you get it out and that trickles into basketball. You see the international scene playing a very different style of basketball than pounding the air out of the ball. Um, and I think that really begets longevity. Because on a day where you're not really in it, you can still play. Yeah. And you don't have to like play one-on-one -on -one basketball the entire time. It's like you're still running, you're still jumping, uh, and, and you didn't have to like take an extended break the same way that a lot more is asked of you in some of our very individualistic ways of playing sports in the States. Yeah, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. I was just playing Frisbee today before our conversation at Pro Force. I had Kevin Hollibaugh on the show last year and... Um, so we were, it was just interesting because today is like kind of my rest day of the week. And it's like Frisbee can be intense. Like if you're running all over the place, but it also can be kind of like a steady, like aerobic level running, but then a lot of passing. And then it's like the perfect and community. So it's like the perfect recovery day. I actually feel amazing. Like, so it, it but if it was like, I don't know, if it was like three on three basketball, it could be not the perfect recovery. I mean, it would still be fun. You know, it just depends how you play, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, that got me thinking about that a little bit as well. I do think there's, there's a, yeah, and, and it's like the, the, we tend to think of these things so much only in maybe a couple factors, like only intensity. That's the only factor. But like you're saying, like community, I think the community piece is so, so critical. And I, even for me, like if I'm playing games with people, my training is so much better. Like, I mean, it's just not even close. And I know that for me to have good, like to be moving well and plus two, just to test yourself too. Like, Sometimes you really don't know how, just how well you move until you get out there and start playing, you know? So it's, uh, I think that's a huge piece that people miss. And to just community, like to just, just straight, being a straight, like, cent, was it centenarian or I forget what you live over a hundred. Um, yeah, centenarian. Yeah. Cent, yeah, yeah. You, um, the, like the community, I think is like the biggest thing. Like they say, like the lack of community is like as bad as smoking X amount of cigarettes a day or something. And, like that. and did you see that Dutch study they did a few years ago where um, they measured the lifespan of these different types of athletes? Do you see that study? Uh, I don't think I did. Yeah. So they did the study and they were just measuring in their population how, you know, who lived the longest. They found that, you know, by two or three years on average, 
the racket sports players were outliving the endurance athletes. Interesting. And usually in the West, we're like, oh, cardiovascular, blah, 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 blah. Pickleball. <laughs> pickleball. I mean, you're playing tennis. You're, you're moving. And in some ways, that's like almost rougher on certain aspects of your mm-hmm. body because you have to move quicker. But you have that community aspect. There's, mm-hmm. You have to be playing with someone. It's, you know, there's only so many people, only so much you can do by yourself in those sports. They're mostly a community-based thing. And okay, like that that lines exactly up with what you're saying about centenarians is like they're, you know, around people. They're getting mm-hmm. active feedback. Their mood is different because they connect to a group as opposed to are just amplifying whatever internal, you know, dialogue they have with themselves <laughs> throughout yeah. the day. Oh, yeah. They go, you know, got by themselves. It's just that thing on on steroids, like whatever, if it's a negative thought pattern, it just gets worse. Like um, whereas it's nice to have a disruption to that. Yeah. I think just with recovery in general, I will say like one of my favorite recovery days, this was in my mid twenties was, um, playing uh, racquetball with my boss, Ron Combs at Wilmington college. So every Wednesday we just go play racquetball for like 45 minutes or an hour. It was amazing because it is like, it's, it is, you are moving faster than running, but it's also not like, it's not like max velocity sprinting. Like it's, it's quick, but the force is not necessarily super high. But then you have like that active, it's constant problem solving. Like I, I think there's something with like that visual spatial problem solving where if this being in a track and field type setting or just maybe even just typical weightlifting or whatever your fitness medium is, just something that there's like that fun problem solving, like just I'm sure it lights up, you know, probably to use a trendy word, it lights up your brain or whatever. Like I'm sure there's also a lot of really um, good things that are probably happening on that level too. It's like getting, engaging more of you. Like you have community, but it also is like visual, spatial and movement. It was always my favorite recovery day. If I had a racquetball court here, I'd try to play, I'd try to try to play that as well, but I will hundred percent take Frisbee too. That either of those is awesome. Yeah, for real. I mean, there's a reason why pickleball became, you know, has become a thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I my neighbors. I've only played like one time. I think my neighbors set it up in their driveway, and they had like a big giant tournament. It was amazing. I wanted to go back and play the next day, but I think they took the. I think they took it down. Um, I, um stole the fun. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm um, definitely you know probably it'll be interesting to see too. Like you know things go in phases. Like how long it is so good. You know you wonder how long if it'll be a staple for like you know a really really long time. Or if there's something else, they'll come in and take its place. I I don't know. Um. But I, was, I wanted to ask you too, uh, before our time's up, a little bit about um, like things that happen as we age ter- on the level of, you mentioned tissue, like stiffness. Uh, you've mentioned that like things get stiffer as we age, but I think on one end, people would say, well, just stretch more. <laughs> you know? But it's a little bit more than that. I, I'm just curious how you see that happening and then things that people can do to keep their tissues. I mean, obviously, good therapy is one thing, but other things like practices people can do, physical practices, movement practices that people can do to to offset the compression, to keep that stiffness from setting in. I'm sure it's multifactorial, but yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's an inside out factor of this kind of like, you know, uh, when we're born, it's almost, a, I think it's a chapter in the Tao Te Ching. It's like when we're born, we're supple. Uh, and when we die, we're like stiff and hard. And the same thing we see in nature, a young sapling of a tree is like nice and flexible. Uh, and when it's dead, it's, you know, it's easy to crack. And that's exactly what the athlete's life cycle is. And we see this over and over. So what do we see physically like under our, you know, under my hands is I see like more muscle tissue attached, like kind of stuck to the tendon. 
and different like layers of muscles, different layers of fascia that should be sliding in regards to one another are starting to use move as one unit. And so instead of like, okay, one person, you know, starts this circle, you know, like starts to pull on something and then somebody else kicks in when it gets hard. It's like everyone's on on all the time. Mm. And so instead of taking turns, they're just like working at the same time, always always exhausted because there's no differentiation. Um, So what are some of the things in, in addition to that, that's also associated with like not getting enough hydration to the muscles and to the fascia itself. And what the heck does that mean? Drink more water, stretch. Uh, I mean, you do need to drink water to survive, but that's not really how you're going to get it into your fascia. Uh, we do see in Chinese medicine, a really big, uh, emphasis on herbal supplementation, especially in like Chinese martial arts in terms of like elixir tonics as you get older, because it's known that you lose some of that elasticity. It's known that like we turn towards this kind of like hot dried out muscle type if we use our muscles over time, over years and we age on top of that. And so, you know, there are certain herbs that can actually help to promote circulation, promote uh, nourishing like the fluids and the sinews. Um, And so that's something something that I think, you know, maybe at some point, if I was in the States, I'd have products ready made or whatever, because uh, it's easier to ship. But down here in Costa Rica, like I have stuff in California, if somebody wants to be my my, (laughs) uh, middleman, I'd love to love to hire you. So DM, DM me or something. But um. Otherwise, you know, we think about things that we can do on a, on a mechanical level to do that. You know, as we get older, our collagen production is no longer going, you know, if it's supposed to be going north-south to buffer forces, it's getting laid down, especially with inactivity, especially with, uh, with age, it's getting laid down more haphazard. And so it's not really aligned the way it's, it's not just injuries that do this. We, we make a big deal out of it, like injury, scar tissue, yada, yada, yada. It, that just, that process does happen with age as well is that our collagen is not being put down in quite as an organized fashion as when we were children. And so we need to be doing things, A, that resemble the thing our goal is for. So if we are an athlete that likes to run and jump, we need to run and jump. There's no question about that. If we can't, you know, finding ways to do that without as much weight, without as much speed, whatever we need, like that's a huge part of the rehab process that I'm sure people on your podcast are are at least somewhat familiar with, if not they're they're not experts already on it. Um, I like isometrics as well, holding tension and lengthened positions, because I find that that can really influence the way that collagen is starting to get put down. I like reflexive actions. I like things, uh, you know, small doses for sure of plyometrics, especially high intensity. I like small doses of higher intensity plyometrics. And I like higher doses of low intensity where we're getting stimulus, where we're actually like remodeling some of the tissue. You know, for me going for a run even feels like a fascial remodeling, you know, in some ways when I'm really beat up, it, it makes my muscles feel much better. That warm-up jog or multi-directional sort of running, cutting, sprinting, uh, you know, like even punching and kicking, doing some kind of like lower level things. I think doing things at different levels of intensity is huge. We can't just yeah. be on one speed yeah. as we get older. We just don't recover in the same way. Um, and some of the people who are telling you that you can just kind of butcher the recovery process and it doesn't have to apply to you and this and that are, are doping. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like straight mm-hmm. up a lot yeah. of the people mm-hmm. that are, are selling this and they're like incredibly jacked at whatever age like some of them are real and then some of them we all find out later are are up to something punky mm-hmm. um and this is a cycle that happens repeatedly because everyone's looking for that holy grail and willing to pay a whole bunch of money for something that looks fishy but reality is we have to spend more time recovering 
And we have to spend more time at, at levels that allow our tissues to, to respond. And also understanding that, you know, listening to our body and finding space in the day where we are quiet and reflective enough to feel what our body is trying to tell us is really, mm. really important. And like stillness is a basic human need. It's a basic animal need. Like I watch my dog, I watch my cat, I watch the monkeys in Costa Rica. I watch, you know, the sloths are a great example, but <laughs> they're also, you know, eating leaves that make them high all the time. So I don't know if they count, um, <laughs> you know, but we have, uh, we have a basic need for this. And if we don't get that, we're ignoring what is happening in our system and we cannot listen to our own bodies because that is the best check engine light that we can have. Uh, the other thing when we're on the topic of check engine lights, and I think I'll, you know, end my monologue there is like check engine lights. Okay. Tissue quality. So being able to touch your own body, you know, and know by your response, ow, that hurts. And it doesn't usually hurt or by like the way the tissue is sliding under your hands. If something is different, because often that's like something's different and then something goes wrong. Um, and you know, those inexplicable injuries, like sometimes it's a huge accident and that's just that, but, but sometimes you can really, like as a therapist, you can feel it before it happens. You're like, oh man, like, I, I know there's nothing, there's nothing wrong here. I can't tell you, you don't do something, but I, I know that something's wrong under my hands. I can't uh, describe it to, you know, a college sports coach, um, you know, in terms that they'll understand at a, you know, the biggest, most important meet of their year and saying like, Hey, there, there's like a 50, 50 shot. They're going to blow out their hamstring today. You know, like I can't really, you know, and even if I say that it's, it's not really, uh, it's almost not ethical because it's so subjective, but at the same time, you can feel that for yourself if you have the time and the tools and the education to do that. Um, finding measurement. So like you, you mentioned in our, uh, when we talked before about Merlene Audie and yeah. she attributed some of her longevity and, you know, maybe some of it was the sponsorship, but uh, you know, I don't know to this, uh, tensinomyography thing where there's like muscle testing It's supposed to be objective muscle testing of how the muscles are responding and whether it's you know, objective with a machine or just like a test that you do, you know, like knowing how high you can jump on a certain day is useful in like, Hey, I shouldn't be in a dip right now based on my training cycle. Hey, like, so why, like I, I slept, you know, I slept enough. I did everything right. Why am I not performing well? And then, okay, I can go home and, you know, listen to my body or, or do a couple other tests with a therapist or, you know, with my coach and talk to them about what, what looks off. And that's a major check engine light is you're not performing. Um, which we sometimes, you know, gets overlooked when we talk about uh, longevity because we're we're also thinking longevity. The the subtext is that we're performing over the long term. We're not just existing in space and time and like you know uh, as as our worst version of ourselves mm -hmm. and still just on the court or on the field doing whatever. Like we're, we're the subtext of this conversation is we're we're performing, and so we have to have a measure for that uh, and multiple measures that are low enough that we aren't only measuring it for the sake of track and field. We're not only measuring it on meet day. And, you know, that's something I think I made a mistake at as a young coach was like, I could have caught so many little training errors that I was making or little errors that somebody was doing. Technically, if, if we just had tested more, we just mm -hmm. had more in that al uh, arsenal of how do I know, how do I view what's happening right in front of me? So I think, you know, tissue quality, uh, just having the in general time in the day, going through like actual testing on a regular basis, whether that's subjective or objective. Uh, those are some ways that I think are really, really helpful to paying attention to like, is my training working to, cause you can feel when the tissue is not sliding. Well, you can, we, we feel the mm -hmm. effects of aging.
you know, yeah. Yeah, I, the, as you were talking, there was actually three things um, that I was thinking of. One was with Marilyn Audi too. I think Hank Kreienhoff uh, spent a lot of time working with her and Hank was a huge like tester of all sorts of different things. And you see as well, I've, I've um, sent emails out about this, but like, um, like Petro Mania, like was a more of a slow twitch sprinter. But then if the, the fast twitch, the super fast twitch guys tried to handle his training load, they couldn't handle it and they, they got overtrained or hurt. And then when they, when they went to the training group that was their fit, they would do better. But I also have been thinking about that in the sense of, and this is more on the level of outputs, but to have longevity, you have to find the training that fits you. And, and that's part of like the journey is gaining wisdom and understanding the volumes, the types of training that your body does really exceptionally well with. It's almost like thinking about like, a, I mean, an extreme example, but like a fish, like a fish wouldn't have very good longevity if it had to flop around on the land for exercise. Probably it does really well when it gets to go in the water and do what it's really good at. <laughs> so it's like, I think finding those things that are like a lock for you as an individual are also really helpful. I mean, and of course we're humans, like we're di- diverse and so we can do a lot of things. It's not just one, but I'm more talking about, I guess if it, we're talking about like lifting, sprinting, mm-hmm. jumping, anything with an output, like kind of seeing how your body likes to manage those outputs and finding that thing that really, okay, this is, this is how my body responds ideally to this is really helpful for um, setting that long course. A huge thing as I dive back into training my 30s has been like, you know, I don't, I play, you know, basketball and I jump because, you know, I'm tall and I, you know, I kind of have the limbs for it. But also we're looking at like, I, I like, I really respond well to running a little further, yeah. to really open up my stride. And if I don't have something like that in the program, even if I'm only doing a short burst sort of sport, I tend to kind of break down and I tend yeah. to kind of get like almost agitated uh, um, with my performance. I don't know how to describe it, but it just doesn't work. So that's, I'm just backing you up on that one. Yeah. Anecdotally. Yeah, I agree. Really. I think there's something with high jumpers where it is like, you know, like if we were a little bit faster twitch and and maybe mm-hmm. the structure was different, maybe we would be sprinters, you know, on some level. I mean, I think you still need fast twitch, but it's almost more about the elasticity, the foot strength, the rhythm, the rotation. Like there's a lot of things that go into that. Like high jumpers are usually bouncy and can maintain bounce for a while. And I know for me, I've become so aware of this. Um, the more and more I, too, I study about things like uh, the cardiovascular system, having Mark McLaughlin on. Um, Alex Effer actually said this really well, is that where like something like strength training and a strong muscle contraction is compressive, um, aerobic work is expansive because blood flow expands. And that's like such like a huge, because that just goes hand in hand with cardio as a restorative. But then the trick for me is, how do I get my cardio in? Because if I just go run, like if I go run, I remember one time in my life, I'd taken a break from, it was kind of like, I don't know, maybe like age 23. And I just took a break from hard training. I'd be like, I've been training hard for over 10 years now. I've been obsessed with this for so long and I just stopped lifting, stopped sprinting, stopped doing everything and just ran like 30 miles a week, mostly on the roads. And at the end of that, I come back after, I don't know how long I'd done that for, maybe like two months, come back and my vertical had dropped like eight inches. I could barely touch the rim, like standing vertical, I don't, I could barely get the rim, which was eight inches worse than my peak. Like everything had gone downhill. It was like jumping with bricks in my legs. So just doing that, okay, obviously that's not a good way to get it for me. If I do trail running, that's a little better, you know, diverse, um, you know, like roots and rocks and different ways to step and things. That's way better. But I find just when I play team sports at like today, like a low, a medium ish intensity with a lot of skill, if I can get my aerobic system that way and get that expansiveness, that blood flow, I'm just like, oh, this is so, my system needs this so badly. <laughs> and I think I, I just understand that more and more each passing year. But it also makes me appreciate like, uh, BFR training, like the BFR cuffs and things like that. Even if it's just training arms, it's like, ah, get some blood flow going. This is good. 
know, this is expansive. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, I need to, I, I need to have that in my system for sure. I'll even sometimes do loops around my, I have a two thirds of a mile loop around my neighborhood. And like with the curve, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a slanty down curve. So if I do running, it's all, I'm always like trying to run off the curve in weird different ways, like backwards, forwards, side. My neighbor is probably like, what is this guy doing? I, I, I learned that actually from Paul Cater. We went on a run. The one time I went with, on a run with him, we're going and he's like doing all sorts of, he's like, try not to run the same way for more than like 20 meters. You know, he's always trying to, you know, have your feet experience different things. And that was an, after going on that run with him and then we sprinted in the trails in the woods and all and up and down hills. Later in the day, I was at track practice and, and just taking off the takeoff board actually felt insane pop off the board because we didn't, we ran all sorts of different ways and it was expansive, anaerobic and in nature. I think we jumped in the ocean that day too. Like it was, so we got all the, everything was on all cylinders there. That's awesome. Uh, I, I want to ask you too, uh, as our time's running out, I know we don't have a lot. Um, you mentioned this was stillness and I just think, you know, I think about Qigong and I, I think a lot of people might think of that and just think, oh, like, you know, esoteric and, and give me a number or it doesn't fit with the typical training model. But I'm sure you know this very well. And I've just seen it seems like a lot of people who are in Qigong seem to look younger. They seem to age well. I'm sure there's a lot of factors with that. Um, but I, I think of this in the sense that I've been programming this recently. And Aaron Cantor, who's been on the show, really got me onto this is and you talked about low level plyometrics like. You, you see like Tommy John doing calf jumps all the time, like like you have that like calf jump intensity or you have higher intensity, but the Qigong, uh, like just shaking is like that lowest intensity, like just sitting there like kind of shaking. I've actually been programming that for people on rest days and they absolutely love it. Like, and, and if, especially if it's people who are in like, like more of their thirties, but it really everybody like, but I think you appreciate it more the older you get. And so that being like the lowest level um, type type stimuli. Uh, but I was going to ask you more about like things like that, because uh, I know that's your jam. And so things that are like more recovery oriented from Qigong, the Qigong practices like shaking or s- arm swings or uh, any breathing like that you would program for athletes that you would think athletes would resonate with. Because I think it's one thing to say, all right, hey, I got this Qigong thing and everyone who's interested, come on. And you got like the hippies, right? Or whatever. You got me. I'll show up, you know, for sure. But, um, you know, but then that's another thing to say, hey, I got a group of athletes from diverse backgrounds and and you want to give them something that they tune into you know like like hey this um you say you could trick trick them into it but but i'm just curious i just for like a general athlete populations like practices from the qigong space that have a restorative quality i'm curious what your take is on that one yeah i mean i've used it um just to a variety of extents with different training groups um obviously with like one-on-one Plans is very different than with a team. Uh, but I think some of the things that really work well with the team, shaking is definitely one. Uh, you talked about low-level plyometric sort of ideas. I think that, yeah, you definitely get that. And then you also get these little mo- bits of mobility and like the spine and the rib cage that you really can't, it's really difficult to get with the traditional stretching just mm-hmm. by virtue of shaking your body in a variety of different ways. You know, I'll have a set that I'll go through where we're kind of like shaking side to side. We're shaking... Uh, you know, kind of in a spiral sort of motion, catching a spiral on the spine, and then we're waving the spine. And so we're opening up all of these different areas uh, around, you know, the nerve roots, like the central nervous system. It's a, it's a physical thing. Uh, and so we're opening that area up. So that's sometimes how I explain it. It's like, hey, we're opening up the spine. We're opening up the ribs. This is, this is where your organs are. Your organs are the reason why your body allows you to exercise. If something was wrong with any of these, you would have trouble you could not do it. Um, 
And to a lower level, like your body shuts down some level of performance if something's internally off. So the shaking is really one for sure. Um, swinging, like you mentioned, this is also from some of the Soviet training systems that I've uh, kind of like apprenticed under. We'll do like a lot of the mobility is also like with an element of uh, swinging and that decompresses areas yeah. that track those tractions you know, the the hip out or the shoulder out and gives it space so that you can find yourself in a larger range of motion more comfortably than you could otherwise. Uh, so those are two things that I immediately think of. The breathing for me, uh, the first, you know, thing I'll start everybody off on is just like understanding how not to rush the breath because that's a huge thing within Qigong practice or at least within Taoist meditation because I come from it from more, from an even more esoteric yeah. place than you go on. so uh in some ways you know that's that's comes with what comes with what it comes with um but different stages of you know meditation you take on different breathing qualities and we're using the the breath kind of like as a tool to control the mind but we also need to use the mind as a tool to control the breath and so the breath to me is a great check-in again if you can find a moment of stillness you can find some of these visualizations. I don't use a lot of visualizations with athletes who are resistant because it requires them to go inside and they might as well just hum their favorite song. Yeah. You know, I don't really think that's that um, that useful. So I go for things where you're kind of making larger ranges, you know, finding ranges of motion, doing something where you're, it's more almost more like inner work for internal martial arts where you're really relaxing with, an, with a degree of tension on your body, uh, finding these kind of like deep stabilizer muscles you know, in terms of standing meditation or like a very simple in and out sort of movement with a specific focus to open up specific areas of the body, torso, um, you know, or even shoulders, hips, things like that. The other thing about internal martial arts that I love to uh, do is to teach people a little bit just about, um, and I know you kind of end up coaching this in your own training, but also like three harmonies. So the ability of like, especially opposite when we're talking about gait, but the ability of the shoulder and hip to coordinate, the ability of the elbow and knee, and then the foot and the hand. And so finding those things in some of these traditional exercises can be quite uh, useful because you learn to open and close at the same time. And then if you can't do it while you're in a gait cycle, then, you know, we can look for what's the problem. Is there not enough ankle stiffness? Is there not enough? Um, is there a restriction in somewhere is mobility? And we can attack that directly. Um, because sometimes people just need to know, like, it's just patterning the, both the brain and also the fascial system to work in this way. As you've heard Sam mention already on the show, herbalism can be a really helpful piece of that athletic uh, longevity equation. And my favorite herbalism company and a sponsor of the show is Lost Empire Herbs. Uh, one of my own favorite uh, combinations is the Phoenix formula that Lost Empire Herbs puts out, and they have a lot of other great herbal products in their store that have a wide variety, a variety of uses. Uh, I've found the Phoenix formula in particular to be one that really works with my athletic needs. If you want to see what Lost Empire Herbs can do for you, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, and you can use the code JOEL15, that's JOEL15 for 15% off your order. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. The, the yeah, the leg swings one actually that you mentioned, that's something since um my time with Aaron Cantor at the workshop he put on, he had mm. us do like 5 minutes of shaking like a qigong shake and any like uh, that's so interesting you mentioned that I think about the line of reflex too like with the the warm-ups that they were doing in Eastern Europe there. And yeah. I think a lot of times we 
like just the value of reflex and opening things up like and it could be you know a standing shake anything like if something gets shook it's i mean i guess you just think about shaking something loose versus just sitting there and um just like just one constant pull it's it's a different type you know it's a it's it just feels more athletic to kind of have that shaking loose quality and ever since my time with aaron and then i was just thinking about um, a few things. One was uh, like Tim Anderson and rolling, just the value of rolling. And then I've learned about lateral sideline in the Bill Hartman compression expansion type world. I've been putting way more like you see them in track all the time, but I think we take it for granted, like lying on your back, leg swings, <laughs> like or yeah. lying on your stomach, scorpions where the legs swing over the back. Like I remember I used to do um, this thing. They called it Wisconsin lacrosse, the Seagrave warm up. I think it was, I think it must have been based or named after Lauren Seagrave, but basically you do like a, a on the ground or a squat or a lunge exercise, then you do like a 40 meter sprint acceleration. And the one movement that I always felt so good in the sprint acceleration after was the lying on my stomach scorpion, like just swinging my legs over the top. So good. And so, but I kind of think I took it for granted. Like now I'll have people doing the lie on their back for like a minute at a time, like lie on your back, let your legs swing. And it's just, I think that's just such an easy initial step for people who might not be used to some of those other things so um you know as well as everything else you mentioned i think it's all really good and some of those things what they'll do too is they'll teach you to move without adding tension to the system it's one thing to talk about Mm, squat mobility and have somebody take you know a full second and a half to like drop down and loosen up and kind of find room in their hips it's another thing and this is something that's really been impressed upon me and uh by some teachers within you know the martial arts world is can you like just fall into a squat yes and how many yeah. how many people do you know who actually can do that how many people do you know that can fall into some of these mobility positions that you're going to find in an athletic environment um as well when we're talking specifically about sport because if you don't have mobility there if you're throwing in a bunch of tension before you even get to the spot uh then i'm not so sure that it's that helpful and i think because i do really actually uh there's a big you know, I think there's a big like social media pushback against stretching. And I think people certainly like there's a reason to not like bad stretching. But like, there's a reason that a lot of athletes that do their sport for a long time, mention stretching in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's several reasons, actually, one of them is that freedom of movement. One of them is because stretching does seem to, you know, in my view, like realign the collagen fibers, you find the research I've seen uh specific studies that back this realign collagen fibers along that you know specific orientation that the muscle group actually wants to go so it's a nice low intensity way to do that um and so it's definitely in there like whether it's under tension or completely free of tension i think we need to find a balance between those two where we're okay we can we hold lengthened positions under tension you know that's gonna mold our fascial system to one way and then also can we let go of all that tension because that's ultimately like you know, the way our, our body from a Western lens views, views muscle contraction, it's yin and yang, it's on and off, you know, it's, it's, and it may be isometric, it may not be concentric, eccentric, but, uh, it's, it's, is it stiff? Is it relaxed? Is it stiff? Is it relaxed? And, and can we make those more differentiated as opposed yeah. to being one muddled mess yes. in between? But that's kind of what makes us slow and injured. Yeah. I, I love that. I think, yeah, if nothing, if nothing else, I think a good, like even in leg swings, uh, just a good practice for people to do is all like just the other day, I had an athlete doing leg swings to warm up and an athlete who has a lot of tension uh, in his running, especially, and he was doing leg swings and I'm, and I'm, and there's so much tension, even in the leg swing. Like, I think you would think about programming a leg swing 
but I don't think we watched for like, well, can you actually actually relax? So I had him like not even doing swings. I said, just do circles with your leg at the bottom, like let all the tension out. And it took him a long time. But when he finally got it, it was so much cleaner and easier. And I think for all the time we spend teaching athletes how to compress, how to turn on, which I think you know, obviously lots of value in learning to achieve muscle tension for the sake of athleticism, power outputs, but at least spend a little time learning to turn everything off completely and to have an eye for, hey, how well can you relax? I mean, even like um, easy strength, Dan John, Pavel, fast and loose. You, I, I have this image in my mind of this guy who's like just flapping his arms around and the, all the tension is out. And I just don't think we talk about that enough. I mean, even if you just took two minutes out of an hour's time to do that, I think it would be really worth a lot of people's time for that. Yeah, for real. I think, um, and I think you touched on a good point of like, we're not telling anybody to not do exercise that, you know, promotes muscle tension. Like even, even I hear people even like in the internal martial art world or in the Qigong world, that's like, oh, you need to like be completely relaxed. Like, no, you don't need to be a loose noodle. Like that's never the, that's not the goal. If you actually meet the people who use it as a martial art, that's not how you do it. It's finding ways to refine the movement Mm. uh, and like then cut, then trim off the fat. And then, okay, like what is the least amount of effort that I need to do to do this common movement? And then that's when you start to add velocity to something. That's when you start to add efficiency to something. And that's what the natural training process uh in great athletes leads us towards in general but it's figuring out like we've talked about reverse engineering it for those of us who don't naturally fall into that uh or we have a hiccup in our in our training process and injury uh stress all these different things um then it's figuring out like for example and i i realize we have limited amount of time but one thing that i think people don't really fully realize and we talked about qigong is like how our internal organs affect our movement and my wife works a lot with neurovisceral manipulation so she's very much a um you know western style in addition to acupuncture she does western style uh massage but like at a very organ-based level and like if someone has an organ that's stuck and i've had work from her and, and felt the difference after like you can't twist if your liver is engorged with blood and like if we're stressed in our life we have this you know in chinese medicine we label that liver chi stagnation it's not a pathology. You're not going to get sick from it, but you're going to be constantly frustrated. Um, you, you know, you might have digestive issues when you get stressed. You might have, it's, it's really based on stress, liver cheese stagnation, stress, frustration, that feeling of somebody cuts you off, uh, you know, in traffic and you're like, that's, uh, that's like stagnant. <laughs> I, I can't move and I want to move. That's, that's stagnation. And that will physically leave a solidity and a stiffness and a Mm-hmm. uh inability to move at the level of the liver and the liver's job is to get the blood you know to return uh to the liver and like you know recharge it and then to get it out to the muscles to get it out everywhere it needs it so if that doesn't do its job a we don't recover as well b we can't rotate because it's at the level where of like about t9 where the rotations of our shoulders and hips meet when we go to walk and run so like if we, if that area is stuck, then that person won't be able to rotate. And there's really not much we could do musculoskeletally if that's the case. Um, and that's what you see more and more when people get older is that, you know, young people don't really have stiffnesses deeply ingrained like that. Whereas, you know, and this is, you know, uh, uh, towards the, uh, I hope people watch toward the end. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, like if, if you get nothing else like that internal body that ability to buffer stress to live a you know healthy clean lifestyle 
like that shows up in our organs and that showing up on our organs is how we mediate uh mediates with our movement specifically yeah and there are things with chinese medicine we can do to, to alleviate that but like you know and qigong uh as well like just massaging that area you know like even just pounding on that area mm-hmm. you know in a variety of ways to send a vibration inside but um yeah best to also live a lifestyle that allows us to to feel good yes yeah yelling in traffic every day probably not good for longevity just on any level (laughs) athletic or otherwise but yeah i know like we could talk about the ramifications i you know i had acupressure point questions for you i'm sure there'd be like another hour like i will have to save it for another day you know, I, I will just leave with the last thing, um, you know, as you were talking, even just like the the percussion, like like even like kind of self, like even, you know, gentle, like kind of percussion on your body um, that do it with your own fists. Like we did that as part of Aaron Cantor's warm up too, okay. is like shaking, percussion, arm swinging. Like I felt so good after that. And it's just, it's so interesting between Aaron, who I think is in his early 40s. I think he's like 42. Um, Rafe Kelly, they're both part of like uh, Rafe Kelly owns Evolve Move Play. Aaron helps uh, work as one of their coaches for Evolve Move Play. Rafe Kelly's 41 or 42, just hit some crazy cork trick that he, for the first time in his life at 41, but that brought me to the other end, way back to what you said, like, just like learning new things, you know, just like skills and, and feeling alive and, and the joy and learning something new. Um, to me, I think it, there's, there's so many ways that you can keep it that way, but I've had a, lot, a really good experience through Evolve Move Play as well, just like those things to stay young, because a lot of those people, I was, I was really amazed by how athletic so the, like the older yeah you know gosh like is middle age something i can start calling i guess i have to start calling myself that but like the to, the the level of athleticism that was retained and the joy that came with it was really something that was special so you know as, as you've been talking i've seen those themes show up in in my own experiences there um but yeah i know, I know you have to get going um you know i know we talked about isometrics and last time i had a question about the isos the intensity well, maybe i'll ask you this like like five minute grinding iso lunge hold or 20 minute horse stance Role of that in longevity, you know, lightning round, one, you know, quick answer. Any thoughts on that kind of thing for? Uh... Uh, that's the that's the accelerate to 60 meters. And then after a certain age, like that's probably not where you want to spend most of your your time is grinding that out. But keeping small doses of it yeah. can definitely and making it fun, making it dynamic, putting a ball between your legs when you're in one of those lunges, you okay. know, like playing a sport while you're there. Like those are ways to kind of maintain tissue quality. So you don't need to be that long, but definitely having some level of getting into that that zone where you're really remodeling the tissue is is important too. Yeah, I found for me at age 40, I can do twice a week. I can do two long hold days or one and a half. <laughs> if it becomes yeah. spot three or four, that that could be hard to sustain over time. But two seems to be the sweet spot for me. Yeah, I think that's that's consistent <laughs> with some other people I've talked to. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sam. It was great talking to you again. Um, and yeah, it, I know you have some new things going on. Is there a place that people can find what you're up to uh, and some of your work? Yeah. Thanks for uh, mentioning that. Wayofsam.com or Instagram, way underscore of underscore Sam, S-A-M, not too complicated to spell. Uh, you can find kind of what's going on with me. I have people come down here and train in Costa Rica. I have some online education programs. I think we could do a whole podcast, honestly, mm-hmm. on the uh, on the meridian acupressure side of things, because yeah. that's uh that's a whole whole nother conversation where we can actually get into specifics. And that's part of what I want to do is really integrate these two worlds because I find them so useful in my own life in working with athletes, even whether it's from the perspective of having the perspective, having the lens to view kind of a holistic person and holistic movement, 
to, you know, the nuts and bolts of like, Hey, this is a, this is a quick fix. <laughs> we don't have to deal with this injury for four weeks. So we can do it in one. Um, so figuring out things like that. So if you're interested, just send me a message. I, I'm, you know, I usually respond pretty quick. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on Joel. This is a great conversation. Love to continue it sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to, I'm sure I'll have a lot of questions for you here in the coming weeks and months. So, uh, well, thank you. So, and maybe, yeah, maybe someday I can get down to uh, Costa Rica and get in on those pickup basketball games. So I'm yeah, sure I'll also be quite area. tall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we've got some older guys down here, uh, you know, that can like, can really play. I, I really think, um, being outside of whatever your local environment is, it really gives you some perspective, whether you evolve, move, play or whatever it is. It's nice to see you know, examples of people who are doing it for a while. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, Sam. I'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks for tuning into the episode. I appreciate you all being here. I'll see you next week.